Good morning. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, let me pray for us as we look at that together. Father, we do thank you for these words of yours, and we ask that you'll shape us by them this morning in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I wonder, have you ever had the feeling that nobody is listening to you or that someone isn't listening to you? I'm sure we've all had that experience in life at some stage. Um, a Mexican man had that experience in the last couple of weeks. He, um, Some residents in a little town in, in Cajeme, Mexico, uh, called the authorities to re- report a domestic disturbance. Uh, apparently, a woman had attacked her husband with a knife. He, She had um, gone to... She grabbed her husband's phone and she'd gone to take a selfie of herself or something to, I don't know, leave him a message or something. And when she hit the photos app, she noticed a photo of her husband with a much younger woman. She was enraged and she put the phone down, grabbed a knife and started chasing him around and screaming at him, hurling abuse and trying to slash him. He was trying to stop her. Please stop. Please listen. Listen. But she wasn't listening. She wouldn't stop no matter what. Well, eventually he ran away long enough. The authorities arrived. They subdued her. And she calmed down a little bit so that he could explain. He said, it's not what you think. Isn't that what they always say? Um, But he was able to take the phone and point out that the younger woman in the photos was actually her. It was a picture of her from many years ago. See, what he'd done was he'd taken one of those old photo albums. You remember those ones that you used to have? You know those old photo albums? Um, he'd, He'd open it up and there was a glossy photo of him and his wife having a great time. And so he took the photo, took a photo of that photo on his phone. And of course, was going to show his wife and surprise her with it later. The surprise was that she found a knife first and chased him around with it. But he wasn't being listened to originally, but once he got the chance to speak, well, his story sounded quite good to her. Uh, But it was only a short time he wasn't being listened to. A lady called Jeanne Pouchin from France uh, has not had quite so much luck in having people listen to her. For three years, she has felt unheard. See, uh, Miss Pouchin owned a business, which was a cleaning business, a cleaning company. And back in the year 2000, her cleaning company hit hard times and they lost a huge contract, had to lay some people off. The company may have folded at some stage after that. um, But the problem was that one of the former employees didn't like being let go. And so they sued her. They said, you can't get rid of me. I'm suing. And in 2004, a court ordered her company to pay this ex-employee 14,000 euros. However, her lawyer, being a clever individual, said to her, you don't actually have to pay the money because your company was sued. Your company no longer exists. It's not in your name. You're fine. And so she was like, ha ha, I win. Um, Which is maybe not the right thing to do because the ex-employee sued her again and again. And through 2009, had lodged another case in the courts. And so for nine years now, she'd been receiving these messages of litigation and calls from lawyers. Anyway, this case got thrown out of court. The ex-employee lost again, but it didn't stop them. They filed again in 2016. So now 15, 16 years of hearing from the lawyers, Miss Pushan decided, you know what? I've had enough of this. I just won't write back. That'll fix it. If I ignore them, it'll go away. So she never answered the summons. And as a result, here is Jean Pushan, legally dead. The court decided that since she wouldn't answer the summons to court or any letters... She was being declared dead. And since 2017, she has been dead in the court's eyes. It takes a whole new meaning, doesn't it? You're dead to me. Um, No, she literally is legally dead. Um, Is that what that says there, Tom? Victim of an error. I was right at 8 o'clock. Oh, that's not a place. That's a department. 
I thought it was a place. Oh, well, there you go. Um, I got my French half right at eight o'clock. How exciting is that? Uh, but she, a uh, French lady, she um, is legally dead. She's been dead for three years, and despite standing in front of the judges, they won't listen to her. She's turned up and said, please, I, I, you've got an error in your records here. You're saying I'm dead, I'm alive. Prove it. What do you mean, prove it? I'm talking to you. Prove it. So she has not yet managed to come back to life. Now, I don't know. Maybe we feel a bit like her sometimes, like nobody is listening or like someone's not listening to us. Maybe there's people here this morning who've had the feeling of not being heard or not being listened to. Um, I have I, myself a situation where my children are watching TV. It's only happened like oh, a thousand times a day. And I say something to them and they don't hear me. Anyone else have had that experience? Yeah, maybe. Uh, maybe uh, you're someone who's gone to ask your boss for a raise. And a few minutes into the conversation, their eyes glaze over. And you know that they're nodding their head, but they're not hearing any words you're saying. Or maybe there's someone close to you who you've asked to do something. And they said they'd, they'd do it, but they didn't really listen. They didn't put the bins out when you asked. They didn't do what they were asked to do. Or maybe it's more important, maybe something serious. And they've let you down. And you feel like, I can't trust them to do important things for me again. Or maybe you feel like, in general, you have no voice in society. Maybe you feel like society's not listening to you. You know, it's not fair. They're not listening. There's decisions being made that impact me, and they're not fair, but no matter what I say or who I say it to, nothing's changing. Is there anyone out there who listens to me? Or more to the point, is there anyone out there who listens to me all of the time? Because that's the issue on the agenda here in Psalm 20. So if we're going to have a look at the psalm, keep it flipped up on your phone in your Bible, and let's see how it helps us when we feel like people are not listening to us. Now, it's important to understand the context of the psalm. It's actually a battle psalm. The king was heading off to war with the armies. And the first part of the psalm is the prayer of the people for their king. Now, this is the days before mobile phones. It's the days before the internet. It's the days before the 6 p.m. nightly news. If your king went off to war, how would you know if he won? You couldn't get live updates. You couldn't listen to the news. There's no reporters going around. No, the way to know if he won was when he returned in victory. Of course, if he didn't win, what happened? Hey? He didn't return. Most likely the other army did, right? And took you over. And so very intimately, the fortunes of the people are tied up with the fortune of their king as he goes to war. The king in the psalm here is King David. And in the first part of the psalm, we see a prayer for him to succeed because if the nation, if he succeeds, the nation lives to see another day. So here's their prayer, that he will be victorious. In verse 1, May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. Selah. Um, they're praying in pray and praising God for their king. Going after one saying, just remember him. Remember him because he is a godly king. And their fortune is tied to him. And we might be reading this and thinking, that's very interesting. It's actually quite exciting to hear that and something new I've learned. But what has that got to do with me? How does King David going to war impact my life? It's important, isn't it, when we read the Old Testament to um, drive around the mountain. I, I often, maybe it's a bad analogy, I like it. But if you think of um, what the Old Testament is saying as looking at a mountain sometimes, and you have a perspective on the mountain, if you're sort of here, 
and you're looking at this mountain, um, what you're actually going to find is as you drive around the side, there's a huge mountain behind it, all right? And so what you see in the Old Testament, you see in part, and then it's made more clear in Jesus. Um, and you can often see what it's really all about as you see through him. Now, luckily, we are all around the mountain, and we can see here in the psalm, it's talking about the fortunes of the people are tied up with King David. And of course, as we come around the mountain, we find out that the big mountain is Jesus, right? We know that the fortunes of God's people are tied up with Jesus, with King Jesus. Here's King David going off to war, maybe against Syria or the surrounding nations, whoever it is. There's some uncertainty from the people. What's going to happen? Will he win? Please, God, let him win. It's different, isn't it? Jesus doesn't fight some nation. Who does he fight? Sin and death. And he's proven victory. He has conquered death. He rose again. He's won the victory. There's no uncertainty in this at all. And so we know the answer. You remember doing homework from those old textbooks that you used to get at school? And there was a, a very easy way to do your maths homework if you were smart enough. What was that? Tim knows it. What was it, Tim? Straight to the back of the book. That's right. Because if you turn to the back of the book, you find something like this, don't you? I don't know what the question is. And it doesn't matter, frankly. I can write the answer down. And you take it and hand it in. And the teacher goes, do you think you got these all right? Yes, I did. How do you know? Because I copied them from the back of the book, sir. Um, not, not a great method if you're trying to learn something, is it? And it defeats the purpose of the homework. So if there's anyone here who does homework, don't copy from the back of the book. All right? But if you want confidence that your answer is correct, you can check the back, can't you? You know you've got it because whoever asked the question wrote the book and put the answer in there for you. See, that's Jesus. He's gone before us. He wins victory over sin and death and evil. He says, come to me and find forgiveness. And because we have a victorious king, it changes everything. It changes the way we look at life. It changes the way that we pray. It changes the way we think. See, in verse 1a, it says here, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. And I reckon we know Jesus has won the victory. We know that Jesus wins. But yet we face struggles because he hasn't yet come back to take us to the place he's prepared for us. And we look around at God's people and we see someone living in constant pain, the troubles they face, the day of trouble. We see children who are in a spiral of depression, anxiety. We see a parent worrying about the finances. Where's the money going to come from to provide for my family? Someone else looks towards retirement, although it's 20 years away still, and thinks, how long? And how can I do this for 20 more years? Tragedy strikes in a family and loved ones are lost. You see, victory is won in Jesus, yes. But we still have to wait for him to come back and take us to the place he's prepared. And so maybe these opening verses of the psalm could be a prayer for our brothers and sisters in Christ. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. We can pray confidently for our brothers and sisters, and yet we should pray for them. Back in the 1970s, an Indian gentleman by the name of Nilam Kumar Kaya fell in love with snakes. Not literally, but he just loved the idea of snakes. They were a wonderful fascination for him. Um, he was the manager of a holiday home near Bombay, and frequent visitors to the home included snakes. They would come along and slither in and hide in the rooms. Some of the staff were trying to keep the holiday home safe, and so they would kill the snakes. Of course, Nilam didn't like that idea. He said, snakes are harmless. They won't attack you unless you provoke them, to which everyone said, ha, good one, mate, sure. 
Anyway, so he said, I'll, I'll prove it. I'll, I'll take the snakes and move them away. And so he kept doing that. Meanwhile, his fellow workers kept killing the snakes. And people started hearing about this snake man who would move the snakes. And they kept coming and saying to him, aren't you scared? You're, you're moving cobras. They're poisonous. No, don't worry. He said, I'm confident they will not attack me unless they are provoked. So he put his confidence to the test. In his backyard, he built a glass cage. And he lived in it for three days straight, 72 hours, along with 72 snakes. All very poisonous. Over 30 of them were in the cobra family. Here he is having a grand old time living with the snakes in his backyard. And he said, I can do this because I'm confident the snakes will not attack me unless provoked. He put his confidence to the test and he's dead from snake bite now. No, he's not. It's okay. He's, he's, the, um, he's the Guinness World Record holder um, and he's uh, lived the longest time in a glass enclosure with 72 snakes. It's a fairly specific record, isn't it, really? But um, it, there, may be more, there may be more nuance to it than that, but the point I'm trying to make is that he was confident he wouldn't get bitten and he put his confidence to the test, all right? The people are praying for their king and their king comes back and he has confidence. He replies in confidence to them and he puts his confidence on the line here, just like the snake man did. Um, look at his confidence, verse six. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. This is actually all in the, in the past tense, okay? And he's saying that he, he knows God has saved him already. Um, then he goes on, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. See, back in the ancient Near East, the horse and chariot was the cutting-edge weaponry. It was a real deciding factor when you went to war. One horse and chariot was worth many, many, many foot soldiers. This is a fairly kind chariot, in my opinion. Um, I would have thought the wheels... Oh, you can't really see this red dot here. The wheel may have had sort of big spikes on it. It may have been a bit larger, like the horse pulling the chariot. It might have been big enough for maybe three or four people to stand in there. Some with spears to push people away, others with bows to shoot from range. And the horse would have been done up with a whole bunch of armor plating on him as well. And it would have been terrifying to get near. They charged these chariots and they would just shatter the ranks of infantry. And obviously, when you go to war, if you have chariots on your side, you're confident that you're going to win. But what does, Dave, what does David say? No, no. It's dangerous to put your trust in the cutting edge of human technology for victory. You've got to trust God who raises the dead. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. So the problem with human technology is that bad things can happen with it. Um, even the best technology can go astray, like chariots, for example. There's a scene in Judges where a king has chariots. He's harassing the people of God. God says, go and fight him. Sends rain. Chariots get bogged. Not moving chariot, not very hard to beat. All right? Think about uh, the best of warfare in our era. Think about the American uh, fighter planes at Pearl Harbor. Did they get destroyed because they were lower technology? No. Why did they get destroyed? Because they weren't in the air. They weren't flying. You've got to be up there to win, right? Um, think about the Germans uh, when they went to attack the USSR with their tanks. Were their tanks not good enough? Did they not have enough tanks? think they had enough tanks but the weather turned on them and the mud and the cold set in and the fuel froze in some tanks and others got stuck in the mud see even the greatest examples of human power can prove to be very fragile and flimsy and as god's people we know we shouldn't put our trust in them 
Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Of course, as Australians, I don't think we put a great deal of trust in the Defence Force to save us, do we? Um, I'm not bagging out the Defence Force at all. I'm just saying that part of our culture is that we don't really uh, talk about that too much. Uh, I watch American basketball, and uh, if you watch the halftime show at the American basketball, very frequently they bring out a bunch of Navy and Army officers or just privates or whatever, and they say to them, we thank you for your service, all right? Now, has anyone been to the basketball in Australia? Did you see the army people brought out? You didn't, because we don't, it's not a thing for us, is it? So we're like, yeah, sweet, we won't trust any horses or chariots. What things are we tempted to put our trust in as Australians, if not the defense force? The stock market? The health professionals? Our education system? I was speaking to a friend, and... Um, they were getting fairly frustrated by certain things happening in their life. There was things that were uh, causing them a, a great deal of angst. And the more they spoke, the more I realized all these things are well beyond your control. Why are you worried about them? And I was about to open my mouth and give them that old chestnut, right? The old chestnut of, you can't control those things, so don't worry about them. You know that? You, you ever, everyone ever said that to someone? You ever delivered that chestnut? As I was about to say it, it struck me. Well, there's actually nothing in life that we can control. So I probably shouldn't say that because there's not anything in life we can... Yes, there is, Craig. We can control lots of things. Like what? Name me one thing. You can't control anything. Of course I can. We, we can't. And we delude ourselves into thinking that we can. It's vanity. It's an illusion. I'll preserve my life, Craig. I'll drive carefully. Well, how will everyone else on the road drive? Well, then I won't drive. I'll preserve my life. I'll stay inside. I'll be safe there, yes. And I'll slip on the stairs. Or I'll choke on my dinner. Or I'll control my finances. I can control that. Okay? I can set aside enough that I'll never need to work again. And then a GFC event comes along. Or a job loss comes. You never get to that point. Or an inflation spiral hits and what you had was worth nothing. Or you're perfectly well set up and there's no macro events except that your house falls down and you've got to repair it. We're not in control of that. Well, I'll show you, Craig. I'll control my children and the outcomes they have in life. Yeah, good luck. Uh, sure, they don't need to explain that one, do I? You see, what do we trust in? Some trust in chariots and some in horses and some in education, some in the stock market, some in health professionals, some in retirement savings, some in their family, some in the things that they think they can control, whatever it might be. But we, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Isn't this a refreshing psalm, don't you think? I think it's beautifully refreshing. Instead of being stuck in this spiral of uncertainty and anxiety and panic about things we can't control, it's brilliant. We just say, oh, I can't control anything. That's fine. How refreshing. Because the big, the big question in life is answered for me. God's in control. Jesus died. Jesus rose again. Death has been conquered. Simple. What I want you to do? Put my trust in him. But not just in a lip service sense. I put my trust in him because I know. I have confidence that he has delivered. Jesus says, come and work, come, come and, and, and be mine. Come and yoke yourself to me. In Matthew 11, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. A yoke is like the ox. They'd put a yoke on the ox. You team up together, off they go. Jesus says, put my yoke upon you. What, so he can work as hard? Now, what does, he say, what does he say about his yoke? My yoke is... 
I can't hear anyone because of your masks, but I think you said easy. Is that right? Okay, good. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's simple, says Jesus, to follow me because I've won the victory. So you can have confidence that I'm in control. Yeah, 2021 is underway for us. Um, for me, I always think of like the end of January as the real start of the year. I don't know what you think, but you know, January is kind of an odd time. The end of January, the year starts properly. You, you've probably heard the illustration, the rocks illustration, right? I'm sure you've all heard it, where you've got some rocks and some gravel and some sand and make your sizes how you please. And you've got to fill them all in a container, right? And if you put the sand in first, if you go from small to big, it doesn't fit. You know how that works, right? If you don't, there's a picture very clearly ex- illustrating the point. Um, it's not very clear, is it? But it'll do. Um, you can barely see the top of the... Everything fits what are you talking about. No, there's a top, I swear. Look, there it is. Um, and the stuff doesn't quite fit in properly, right? But if you put the big things in first and then go from there, there's space for everything in, in life. And it just... Reading the psalm made me think of this because if you start with the big things, the rest is going to fit around it. If you get your big rocks in control, in, in place, then the things that you can't control may well slot around that. What are the big rocks going to be for you this year? Because if we get those right, the rest fall into place. I don't want to say to us, looking at the psalm here, we've got to prioritize who we are as one of God's people. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. What's our big rock? It's got to be God, doesn't it? It's got to go first. And once we get God in, everything else fits around it. We get God. How do I prioritize God and his ways? I don't know what it is for you this year. Is it spending more time in the word? Is it joining a growth group? Is it focusing your family more on his ways? These are all wonderful ways of putting the big rocks in place. But it's, each individual has to think of that on their own. Get those right. Everything else fits around it. Someone posted on social media, help. There's an intruder in my house. And I can't get to the phone. Well, said someone, this is terrible. What can we do? Please call the police for me. I'm really scared. A few worried responses came in. Oh, no. Hope everything's all right. Hide somewhere safe. I don't know if you use much social media. I'm not real savvy with it, but I know this much. When you're posting on social media, it gives sort of a where you posted from thing, right? Like what sort of device you posted from. So this person that's got on there posted from phone, right? Um, posted from mobile. Eventually, someone replies, but you posted from your mobile phone. Why not just use that to call police? I'm not going to talk about this anymore. I, I just think the poor person just wanted to be heard, didn't they? They were putting out a desperate fairy tale that they made up just so that someone would pay them attention. And often we feel like that in life, although we don't admit it. We're, we're probably, was that anyone here who did that, by the way? No, good. Should have Check that beforehand. Um, we, we often want someone to pay attention to us. And we feel like we're not being heard. But who do we really want to hear us? Is it the crowd on social media? Or, or do we crave public opinion of us? Would you like it if you got a bit more recognition in society for who you are and what you've done? Because you probably do quite a lot in society. I mean, how nice would it be if at least Oakley recognized you and your service of this community? Would it be nice if you're walking down the street, down through the shops at Oakley, and there's a big banner across there? Thank you, Mavis Noakes, for all you've done. And people are coming up. To, who laughed the loudest, by the way? Mavis, who else? Someone over here. Shane Piercy, maybe. Thank you, Shane Piercy, you legend. Wouldn't that be nice? And people are coming up to you and giving you a cup of coffee for free today. That's on us. 
bring your family down later to the restaurant, we'll feed you all, just because of what you've done, who you are. Who would like that, anyone? We'd, many of us would. <laughs> Apparently just me and Mavis and Shane. Um, but it would be nice. Or imagine in the workplace, you turn up one day, and there's the boss, little plaque. Thanks, Tom. I know you've only been here for, what, three days now? But you've done a great deal. How long have you been at your current workplace? About a year and three days. And uh, thank you for all you've done so far. Wow, what a great year of service that's been. Stephen, I know you've been with us for 612 years here at Telstra, and you're fired. Goodbye. Uh, what? What sort of recognition is that? Oh, sorry. No, it's Telstra. I was just saying what they do. Um, thank you for your service there, Stephen. Thank you so much. It's, you've been a great employee. Through. Like, how nice would that be if someone did that for you? It's dinner, kids. And they all come running down and set the table. Wouldn't that be nice one time, don't you think? <laughs> What's our hope in? Is it that we're going to be heard at work or in the family or in society or on social media? Is that, is that our ultimate hope? Because if we get ourselves too worked up about these things, then maybe it shows us where our hope really is invested. Some trust in chariots, some in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. He hasn't yet come to bring us home. But he will. And I don't know about you, but the words I want to hear are these. Well done, good and faithful servant. Don't you want to hear those words when you get to heaven? Get your big rocks in place. Because you know God's heard you. God has heard you. O Lord, save the king. Or translated another way, O Lord, the king he saves. May he answer us when we call. He does. We know he does because the King Jesus treasures us. He protects us. And so with victory assured, we can remind ourselves that we should pray to him. Of course we should in this interim time, this small time, because he saves, he answers our call. Let me do that for us now. Father, we thank you so much for all that you've done for us in your son. We thank you for the extreme confidence we can have in him before you. And the confidence we can have in life. And we are so anxious about so many things so often. Father, help us remind ourselves every day that some trust in horses, some in chariots, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. Father, we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.